Welcome to the Digitally Native podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be digital and to live digital lives. I'm your host, Fungai, and together we will explore a range of topics and trends around digital and social media and digital innovation. So grab a drink, buckle up, and let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I hope that you are having a good start to the week. Can't believe it's already midway through January. January is in its teens and very soon it's in its 20s and then it's in its 30s and then it's February. Can't can't sometimes make sense of how quickly time moves. I know people say January is a very short, not short, long month, but it always feels like it's a very short month to get the the beginning of the year into gear with. But here we are, and I hope that uh, January is treating you well. So for today's episode, I've been thinking about this topic for quite a long time, and it's about the new age of the African influencer, or the social media influencer, I should say. And my interest in this comes from the emergence of new platforms like TikTok in particular. I think Instagram has also done quite a lot to bring about a new age of influencers, social media influencers from the African continent. And I look at it um, from the prism of the past and then I try to situate what I think is happening in the present and how there are many debates around whether one is a real influencer if all they have as their currency is a social media following. So back in the day, and and back in the day for me is 10 years ago, so not so long ago, uh, when I sort of started my own digital journey, it was a very clear, I suppose, there was a very clear focus on a certain kind of African influencer. And I think this predates the social media era. It goes back in time to, um, you know, the, the times of the decolonial projects in the 60s, 70s, 80s, when African countries were getting liberation and so forth. Um, and, and you have the emergence of the African writer as this very big um, figure within uh the literary spaces, the knowledge production spaces, uh, just in the intellectual spaces in general. So the African writer is seen as a very important figure uh, to speak truth to power, to uh, bring about uh, conversations around activism and social change and the like. And so we can look at this time that's about 10 years ago when you have Twitter starting to emerge quite robustly, Facebook is also um, quite popular at this time. And, you know, people are exploring blogging and, and these different kinds of platforms and spaces. And the African writer, um, the literary African, is taken with a, a kind of seriousness that I think other people in other fields are perhaps not taken in the same way. Um, and so you have these very eloquent speakers who are engaging in platforms that are very intellectual as well. So, for instance, TED Talks and TED Platforms, TEDx Talks, where you have these people who are talking about um, 
important topics around narratives about Africa and how to shift the narratives, the, the reductive narratives about Africa as a continent. And one, obviously, that comes to mind quite strongly is uh, the TED Talk by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, the Nigerian author. Um, and she gave a TED Talk some, I think, 13 years ago now, or, or maybe even more now. And it was titled The Danger of a Single Story. Just looking at that on the TED platform itself last night, I took note of the statistics for viewers or viewership of that TED Talk. And it stands at 32,949,847 views as of uh, the 16th of January. That's staggering. That's a staggering amount of views for a TED Talk, which uh, talks to dispelling these reductive narratives about Africa as a single and homogeneous space, um, think, speaking to the vibrance and the diversity of the continent, etc. Uh, I just looked as well on the TED platform on YouTube just to see what the figures were there. And that same TED Talk has 11 million more views there. And I think the last comment that I saw on there was from about two weeks ago. So there's still a lot of engagement with it at this point in time. So in total, we're looking at almost 44 million views on one uh, TED Talk. And so you also have people who show up in this time who are speaking similarly to challenging reductive narratives about the African continent, um, one other person who had a very popular TEDx talk, Komla Dumo, um, the late Komla Dumo, who worked for BBC Africa, who was very passionate about shifting the narrative about the African continent. Um, and then you have other spaces and, and influences who are also speaking similarly. I think I remember very clearly when Trevor Noah took over hosting of The Daily Show, he had one um Skit, well, not so, not so much a skit, but he had a kind of interplay between himself and John Stewart, where they tried to spot the country, and it was basically this play on: is this a country in Africa or is this America? And you know, they'd show stereotypical images, for instance, a a, a pavement or a road that's you know potholed, etc., and then say, is this America or is this Africa? And um, you know, it was a simplistic way of trying to debunk narratives or stereotypes about Africa and African quote unquote incompetence. But, you know, those are the kinds of spaces that existed at that time. You had these influencers who were taking these ideas about Africa or these opposing ideas about Africa to these spaces that were largely um, Western headquartered spaces. Um, or speaking to Western audiences directly within Western spaces and saying, this is not the Africa that you think you know. And so, um, and I think about, you know, some of the other ways that other influencers were using spaces more directly. I, I don't think so much that these influencers were using Twitter or Facebook or social media platforms to actually speak back about certain things. They were either writing about them, you know, as literary um, figures. They were writing books that spoke to a different narrative about the continent. But then they were also speaking in these very organized spaces and platforms such as 
the TED Talks, conferences, etc. And I think one person who did, however, and there were a few authors actually at that time who did start to use these platforms themselves in different ways. One author that I remember doing so was Teju Cole. Um, he's a Nigerian writer based in the U.S. And he had this very big Twitter following, which he engaged sometimes to actually be a part of his knowledge production so he had a short story titled Hafiz that he actually co-authored with his followers. Um, I think it started as a tweet with a first sentence of a story, which, you know, followers kept coming to the thread and building until it became a somewhat coherent short story that he was able to put together and make sense of. So there was, you know, this kind of interesting um, use of the social media space to create and co-create. Um, and, and that was some part of it, but I would say the large majority of the conversations were largely um, steered within very organized spaces or on very organized platforms. Um, you have these very uh, clear standout spaces and platforms like okay, Africa, this is Africa, Africa is a country, uh, which were all blogging sites or um, websites where people would actually contribute content around different themes and ideas about Africa and the African continent and the shifts thereof. And I kind of think about something that Chinua Achebe, the late Nigerian author, said in an interview some years ago about the role of literature, um, the role of knowledge production as a whole, I suppose you could, you could uh, extrapolate that from his quote um, or from what he had to say. But then the whole idea about knowledge production from an African standpoint has always been this very political act. And he said words to the effect in an interview that since literature had been complicit in the colonial project, its production and consumption could never be a luxury, but that it had to be political, that it had to be a political tool of life and death. So in, if, in effect, writing, producing knowledge and the like was not so much a luxury, but a tool of life and death, a very political act of stating one's existence and one's experience. And so I think that was... For me at the time that I was an, an early social media user, that was a very clear stance that most um, influencers took at the time. You had to have a very serious theme or track or idea that you wanted to bring to the audience. And it largely had to do with debunking stereotypes about Africa, creating diverse narratives and subverting the idea of the dark continent and, and the like. And so I found it interesting because I've had conversations with different people over time about these shifts where we have these new social media influencers who I think from um, just a, a very narrow standpoint can be typified as being not political, not serious about, you know, the, the political acts of life and death that previous generations had to um, fend for. 
And I guess it's also the stigma that comes with Gen Z. I think there is this idea that Gen Z is just basically not very serious about anything. And, you know, they make their own rules as they go and they're not continuing with important political acts or political um, ideologies. And so in this episode, I do want to push back against that idea. I do want to ask a little bit about what we think this age of social media influences represents and why we think it's so different from previous ages. And to ask if it really is, if these young people who have emerged are not political in ways that further the agenda of a politicized um, African intellectual space. And obviously, I, I've said this before in different spaces. I spent a lot of time on social media during the pandemic, and it really helped me to uh, have a sense of the new age of social media influencers who have emerged. And I'll, I'll just talk through a few of those that I have written and researched about before who I find particularly interesting and who have been very pivotal to, I think, creating or cultivating the this new age of African social media influences. And the first one is Elsa Majimbo, who is a young Kenyan who had this breakout year in 2020 when she started um, recording lockdown content on her iPhone 6 and, you know, just having these really fun, pithy little videos about what it was like as an introvert to be in a lockdown when she just didn't have to spend the money she was spending going outside to be with people she didn't really want to be around. And that resonated quite a lot with a lot of people who felt like, oh, you know, now I don't have to go and buy meals or pay for an Uber to be with people that I actually don't want to be around. Um, and so she started on Instagram, but then grew very viral there. And then she moved on to, to TikTok and has a massive following there as well. And one of the quotes um, from Teen Vogue in a 2021 article that they, they wrote about her notes, and I quote, her props weren't fancy, no filters were used. She manages to be confident without seeming self-absorbed. Usually her setup involves a face-to-face -face camera take in a spare room of a family's Nairobi home, potato chips in hand, and thin black 90s-style sunglasses on her face. Viewers aren't transported to another world, but more so were made to rationalize the ridiculousness of the one they were in. And I think that really speaks, end quote, and I think that really speaks to what it was about Elsa Majimbo that made a lot of people turn into very quick fans of her. She just was very simple and she was following the COVID aesthetic, I suppose, just being on your bed, eating junk food, passing time along and, you know, recording these videos, these snarky little videos about how she didn't really like being around people anyway. And so, you know, that's the first person that comes to my mind. And then, you know, I think another person who was, who has had this very big uh, glow up since the, the pandemic is obviously Kabe Lame, who has become the, the most followed TikToker. Um, he's 
uh, a Senegalese-born Italian, and he is, I'm sure you've come across his, his skits or his videos where he basically doesn't say anything. He just makes these exaggerated arm gestures and facial expressions and responds to really illogical videos about things that should be simple to do. Um, so he stitches these videos with, you know, problematic life hack videos and offers commentary in that way. Well, that's what he used to do at the time. I, I don't think he does that so much anymore since he's become a little bit of a superstar. But that was his claim to fame. He hardly, I don't think he spoke at all. He never spoke. He just made these gestures. And people resonated with it because they were also asking themselves questions about certain things that, you know, these life hacks that are meant to make life simpler, which actually make it more complicated, which make life more complicated, whether they actually served a role or purpose. The final influencer that I want to look at is called um, Lasizwe Dambuza. Now, he's a South African uh, influencer who has a following that more, I think, started on YouTube. And then he was able to grow followings as well on Instagram and Facebook, as well as TikTok. So Lasizwe is probably, unlike Majimbo and Lame, a little bit more of a regional interest, more Southern Africa with a specific uh, fan base of South Africa, himself being South African. But he's been on social media for quite a while, has always done somewhat outrageous videos or skits, um, which poke fun at different things. But I, I think I started to notice him a little bit more during the pandemic and how he had these videos that would sometimes just poke fun at the COVID response in South Africa from a class and race perspective in particular. So I remember how he would have these videos of how it was very different to be shopping during the pandemic at different um, stores. So what it would be like if you were shopping at Woolworths, which is a high-end supermarket, and what it would be like if you were shopping at ShopRite, which is a lower-end supermarket, and the kind of service delivery you would get, the kinds of um, rules and regulations, COVID rules and regulations you had to follow in different outlets. I think he also would do the same with how you would get treated um, if you were COVID positive at a public health care center versus a private health care center. And so all these different things that he's able to do with humor um, to to show some of the structural issues that are still prevalent in the South African context um, have always been very interesting to, to see and to follow. And so I think these three are people that I I want to zero in a little bit more on because I think they represent very different audiences, but they're they're, you know, some of the bigger African social media influences that are out there. Or at least in the case of Kabilame, I'm not sure if he identifies as African in that way because he's of African descent. Um, but then, you know, these are people who are representing a lot of, I suppose, a hope, a, a hope of African influences online. Um, you know, 
Kabelame has 154.1 million followers on TikTok and 80 million on Instagram, which is just massive. And Alsa Majimbo has 1.4 million TikTok followers and 2.4 million Instagram followers. Equally, you know, very, very massive. Not equally, but then quite big. And then Lasizwe, who has 1.9 million TikTok followers and 1.4 million YouTube, no, 1.4 million Instagram followers. He had, I think, over 700,000 YouTube followers. I'm not sure. Recently, he said that he's closing down his YouTube account, but then I'm I'm not sure if that's true or if it's one of his gimmicks. I, I, I've seen it reported about, so it might be true. But, you know, he also has this very big following. And so the question that I have or the, the, the point of interest that I have is how, you know, depending on who you talk to, some people feel like, these new influences represent the death of a politics and an activism that older influences carried with them, which was a more political agenda to speak back to narratives about the continent and about Africans um, in a very direct intellectual way. So in the ways of a TED talk, in the ways of a conference keynote, um, or the like, those spaces where one really actively speaks back about Africa in a constructed and um, intentional manner. And so, you know, these guys are seen as sort of, oh, you know, they're fun and they're entertaining, but they're not really pushing the needle. They're not moving anything. And they sort of fit more into consumerist culture than anything because, you know, they speak a lot to the aesthetic of a soft life. They're, you know, they, they, they're funny and they're doing what they're doing, but then they also enjoy living a very um, high-end life, upmarket life, etc. But my question is always around how we can look at politics differently because I think every generation has its own politics and its own political agendas that it's fighting. And I don't think Gen Z is any different. I don't think that they're just sitting there with their arms crossed and they're not particularly interested in pushing um, a narrative about Africa and Africans that is different and that um, challenges these homogenous ideas about what it is to be African. So I think about, for instance, how Elsa Majimbo at the beginning of her rise in 2020 spoke about various themes around, for instance, colorism. Um, that was one thing that she talked about uh, very early on in her rise, about being a darker-skinned Kenyan woman in a context that still favors the lighter-skinned um woman and that still creates more opportunities for people who are lighter skinned. And I think for her to be able to speak to colorism and to call it out um, was a very political act on her part. It was something that um, I think brought a lot of conversation from Kenyans um, about what colorism, what role colorism still played in, the, in their context. But I think it also has very important overlap across different communities. I mean, colorism is, is still a big issue, I think mostly across the African continent, also in any 
black communities, black diasporas, where there is still favor given largely to the more lighter skinned, particularly women in a community or society. So I think that shows, I mean, it's not something she ran with for a long time, but that level of awareness to bring that up is something that I count as being political. I think even in um, a lot of her work online, she has had times when she would come out and support political movements, political um, solidarities, uh, one being in SARS, which emerged as well during the COVID lockdowns, a Nigerian cause against pol police brutality there. I think she also lent her voice to the Black Lives Matter movement. And she also came out quite strongly in support of LGBTQ rights, um, which I suppose if someone is making content about, you know, their introverted lockdown lifestyle, really, if they go viral because of that, I don't believe that they necessarily owe us any politics in return. They've already framed themselves as being very much a humorous, centered person who is more about what, you know, what life is like for them in their in their own little reality. But the fact that they that she still had this political agenda and was bringing it to the spaces where she was becoming viral, to me, supports the idea that she is a political figure. She is a political being and she, she has a politics that she's willing to bring to her, her more light-hearted um, persona online. And the same can be said as well about Lasizwe Dambuza, who has lent his voice to different uh, political actions and movements. Um, he was vocal on Zimbabwean Lives Matter at the same time, you know, around the COVID lockdowns, um, which was also, I think, as South Africans, because South Africans, Zimbabweans, South Africans and Zimbabweans have this very tense relationship at times where, um, because of the xenophobia that South Africans tend to display towards Zimbabweans, um, South Africans lending their voices and support to Zimbabwean causes is not always so common. Um, and so I think Zimbabwean Lives Matter being this viral hashtag that actually was made viral through a South African audience largely because South Africa has such a bigger population than Zimbabwe that could enable it to become more viral than it could among Zimbabweans themselves. For South African um, figures public figures to put their voices behind it was a very political thing because it was also speaking to their own South African followers and saying, well, we do not support xenophobia. We do not support the idea that Zimbabweans are less people or lesser beings than us or, you know, whatever it is that this superiority complex can sometimes lead to ideas about between South Africans and Zimbabweans. Um, I think that was a very political act on his part. Um, and, you know, he's also done a lot of work with raising funds for university students within South Africa. I think he had this challenge where he asked his followers to contribute about 10 South African rand, um, which is, I guess, a little over 50 US cents, um, to ask them to just support this cause of getting underprivileged students to universities. 
and that managed to raise millions of rand if i'm if i'm not mistaken um and so these these young people are also using their voices and their platforms and their spaces in these very political ways um i think another thing that's really interesting about lasizwe dambuza is he is a black gay man in south africa and he does not shy away from bringing elements of his sexuality into his his work into his skits into his performance um and that's also quite political because to be gay and black in africa is still a very dangerous thing and for him to 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 own it and to express it in ways that are that bring about a kind of flamboyance a kind of um affirmation of who he is for himself and for other people like him is a very important political act um i think also with kabe lame we we see not so much i suppose because he doesn't say much he doesn't actually articulate a lot of himself in his work but he as a person is also a political person to to look at i think the fact that he got his uh, italian citizenship last year after i think at around the time he became the highest tiktoker in the world that is also a very interesting thing to look at because he had lived all his life in italy but had never been able to get citizenship he was working in a factory at the, at at the time that he lost his job he then joined tiktok and that's when he became this viral sensation and i think that's also an important conversation point to think about which knowledge and which labor production is perceived as being worthy for one to become an insider in a space that they would otherwise be considered an outsider. So would Kabe Lame have attained Italian citizenship if he had kept working in this factory for another 20 more years? And what does it mean when one's uh, social media currency facilitates their acceptance into a space in this way, their acceptance through citizenship? So I think that's not necessarily a political thing in and of himself but it is a political thing to look at about him in the same way that it is a political thing to think about how um he's taking over from Charlie D'Amelio who was previously the highest TikToker she previously had the most followers on TikTok how in the build up to his overtaking or surpassing her following there were all these kinds of conversations that were happening on TikTok where people were lobbying their own followings to go and follow Kabe Lame because a lot of people wanted him to take over as the highest TikToker because they also saw it as this very political thing that here's this black african TikToker who has the opportunity to in a way subvert this very idea of the platform itself because i i doubt that most of the platforms that we use are largely created with african users um in mind as being the most popular users of those spaces so what it means when someone who a platform is not necessarily created for 
becomes its biggest influencer. And a lot of people started to call upon their followers to actually follow him. Because I think there was a little bit of a tension with people feeling like he shouldn't be the, the highest TikToker. Because again, these are platforms that are not created with the idea of um, a person like Kabe Lame being the most popular uh, user on them. So I think that's also pretty political in a certain in a certain way. It's not necessarily again about him and his politics, but it's also about what the politics of the space tends to dictate and how these people, by their simple existence, by their simple existence and virality, subvert this very idea and make us have these questions about so what does it mean when a platform is not created for you but you become its most popular user what does that say about your culture what does it say about your innovation what does it say about your knowledge production because these are people who are producing knowledge. It's a different kind of knowledge. It's not literary. It's not intellectual. But it is important knowledge production. It does contribute to the greater agenda of Africans subverting a single story or a single narrative about themselves. It's Africans showing themselves as being fun-loving, adventurous, curious, um, able to put together new ideas in different ways and, and creating communities and followings that actually resonate with what they're doing. So I just wanted to offer that as a conversation point to, to ask ourselves what we mean when we say the African influencer, who we mean when we say the African influencer, who is this African influencer intending to speak to and about what? And can we have African influencers that speak about different things, new things, um, in different ways? So that's my offering for this week. I may have another episode this week just to catch up on some things that are outstanding in certain uh, places that I have promised to publish and write about, not write about, speak about. But thank you for listening and I look forward to your feedback.